Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Sprinkle. And I'm your other host, Dr. Mary Cope. Have you ever thought about starting a pet business? What about four? You are about to meet an individual who has done that. Are you ready to uncover the secrets behind building businesses that truly speak to the heart of the pet industry? Today on the Pet Industry Podcast, we have a true industry expert. For over 25 years, Jamie has been a driving force of innovation within the pet industry. From education to technology, business development to marketing, she's a powerhouse who has built not one, not two, but four national pet service companies. With an uncanny ability to bring businesses to the forefront of the pet world, Jamie's vision has transformed the landscape for pets and their devoted families. Jamie will share the captivating story behind the creation of FetchFind, her expertise in the pet industry, and the unwavering love that fuels her passion for all things pet. No, really, thank you so much for spending some time at SuperZoo with us. We're really excited about all of the amazing news that you have coming out with FetchFind, and we just think this is a huge moment for WPA and the whole industry. So I'm excited to hear more of your backstory and how you got here. So do you mind just taking us a little bit on that journey on how you got into the pet industry and established your multiple businesses? I'd love to. Thanks for having me. And I love being here. I love BSM and everything that you all stand for. We're really excited to be at SuperZoo with our WPA partners, but also with our extended family, which we would consider BSM a part of our extended family. So I got into the pet industry somewhat purposely by accident. I was a social worker out of school and decided that I would want to look into becoming a veterinarian. I had a passion for animals. I worked in animal shelters. I worked at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago and thought that would be a career path. So I started exploring what it would take. I was 20, 22, 23. I started exploring what it would take to get into veterinary school. And everyone told me that it was just so competitive with 27 internet, 27 veterinary, domestic veterinary schools that you really needed experience that went beyond doing some basic volunteering and so forth. So I started a dog walking company on the side. And so I was working my full-time job. Actually, that's not true. That's the second step. Let me move this backwards. Hold on. There's even a better story that actually took me to the dog walking place. As a social worker, I actually worked in group homes for duly diagnosed women. So I was a case manager for women, houses of 13 or 15 women who were struggling with diagnoses around personality disorder, but then also they would have potentially a substance abuse issue. So lots and lots of strife. And so my job, I did the overnight shift. I did the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. I was new out of school. I was just getting started in the social work world, and that's just the shift that I was hired for. So my job was making sure that everyone stayed in their rooms. If they needed something overnight, I was there. I was supposed to stay up all evening, of course, and then give meds in the morning. One night is actually August 9th, 1990. And, and August 9th, 1992, I believe, actually, in the back it was in Chicago, in a neighborhood in Chicago, and there was a parking lot behind the house. And I, two in the morning, woke up and heard a sound and went in the back and found a very small kid, just maybe maybe four or five weeks old. 
meowing at the back door. And this was a no animals allowed. Of course, it was run by a nonprofit organization that ran many houses and no animals, of course, was the rule. And I thought, well, I'm getting off in like six hours or five hours. I'll just take this kitten in, bring it home. I was already very much involved in the animal world and had pets at home and so on and so forth. And so I did that. So I brought little, his name ended up being Jerry. The reason I remember August 9th is because it's the day Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead died. So he, we named him Jerry anyhow. So I brought him into the group home and hid him in the office, in the case manager's office, and set up a little makeshift little box with papers and what have you and a little saucer of whatever I can find. I think it was actually tuna. And the women in the morning would wake up and they woke up about five in the morning. I would get all their medication ready and they would come to the, so- the case manager's office and you dole out the, their medication, whatever their morning meds were. And I had this cat there, which I knew if I got busted with a cat, that would be bad for just bad. Right? Who knows? People have allergies. Plus, it was against the rules. And plus, I was a young, new person on the totem pole. I'm not supposed to be breaking rules by bringing live animals into a no-animal group home situation. About an hour later, all 13 women were sitting in the living room, passing this cat around and talking about the impact of animals on their life at different points. And it was a really monumental, meaningful moment for me because I realized I had these thoughts of wanting to go to veterinary school. So that was already there. And I watched these 13 or so women having no, there was no animosity. There was no, there were none of those interpersonal dynamics that typically are at work from the moment they wake up. And they were just engaging and not and every single one of them. A couple of them didn't even like cats, but it was such a unique moment so that everyone participated. And at that point, I thought, you know what, I definitely want to continue to pursue veterinary, but I also think that there's probably something more with social work and animals, and let me see what I can do. So I introduced an animal therapy program into that organization where we had animals come and visit, and then from there, I got the advice about you need to do more for your application for veterinary school, not just the AMCATs, but you need to do more for that. And so I started a dog walking company thinking if I can be in people's homes and have a relationship with people and their pets, learn more about just what it is to have in different environments, but also be a part of their decision-making and be a part of their family and be a part of what I just saw happen and be a part of what I experienced as a pet owner, as a young person. And from there, that business grew to 2,000 clients and 40 dog walkers. Like, I think I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't say the word entrepreneur, but I'm like, oh, I actually really like this. I'm not going to do, I'm not, and I, you know, at that point, I just stopped pursuing anything related to veterinary school because I was so engrossed. And so I quit working at the group. I was also working, sorry, part time at what was a pet practice, which is now a VCA now, uh, very part time. And so I quit that job and I started running this dog walking company seven days a week. 18 hours a day and hiring people and running it. And then I decided at some point, it was very successful. It still is in business, by the way. I decided I wanted to pursue. There's this clinical thing. I love science. I like to solve problems and figure things out. And so I decided that maybe becoming more involved in dog behavior was a good path. So I started exploring programs that I could pursue become a dog trainer. And back, this was 1999. And so there was nothing really available. There were a few programs, but they were master's level, and they were just not aligned with where I saw myself as a next phase, and I wanted to get there quickly. So I found Purdue University, Dr. Lucia, who is 
since retired, and Julie Shaw, who I think is also retired, but they ran an amazing animal behavior program as a part of the veterinary school. And they ran some programming that you can go for three months or six months and just be a part of the Purdue world and go through weekend. So it was a weekend-based program. So I enrolled. It was called Dogs, ironically enough. I would go every weekend for, I think it was six months, to work with Dr. Lucher and we would, and their clinical staff all focused on behavior. And so I sold my dog training company to one of, one of my clients' sons, actually, and started a dog training company. But before I did that, I got to have a mentor. I found a mentor. Her name is Dr. Yael Sedone. She practiced in Oak Park, Illinois. And I went to her and I said, in your community, I own this dog walking company. I think I want to pursue animal behavior. Can you help me? And long story short, a year later, I opened up the dog training company that I started called Animal Sense in her clinic. And so she redid the back of her clinic to make a school. And so then I ran this dog training school in her clinic for 11 years. And through that, we also expanded throughout Chicago and had different locations around the Chicagoland area. One of the things that happened with her mentorship, and then she took me into the clinic, I was their staff trainer and their staff behavior consultant. And so I was exposed to behavior in the veterinary world and behavior. And then I also did some part-time work as a shelter manager during this whole stint. That was another whole piece of my experience in education. But having that exposure to animal behavior in the veterinary space was a very big eye-opener for me as far as what people really struggle with that you hear only in the confines of a closed-door veterinary environment. And so that really... That really intrigued me, and I wanted to go further with that, but I knew I couldn't scale that on my own. I really wanted to develop a business as part of our regular dog training. We had 50 classes a week. We did private lessons. I really wanted to get more involved in this sort of clinical aspect of behavior. So we started a school called Animal Sense Academy. So we went to the University of Chicago, and we said, listen, we really want, we have all this content for all these pet, all this pet parent content. How do I take this pet parent content? and make it into something I can train someone how to become an animal behavior consultant or a dog trainer. And so we built a nine-month program that we started offering to anybody who wanted to have a career in animal behavior and in dog training. And that was in 2008. And we graduated about 200 people over that from 2008 to 2016. It was just a one night a week, plus we built out this very elaborate program. It had internships, externships, and they had to go work with my mentor. I ended up extending herself to all the students and internship at her clinic. I mean, we really did this really very proud of it, like the most robust, hands-on and multifaceted educational experience for a mom who was wanting to get back in the workforce or a lawyer who no longer wanted to be a lawyer but wanted to be pet professional and there was just all and we just were bombarded with all of these people who as I found out really wanted to follow the same path but it was a trail of breadcrumbs they didn't want to go to veterinary school they didn't want to get their masters they didn't want to just be working they didn't want to have a job just working in a clinic or in a boarding and daycare facility they wanted something that was structured and clinical and research-based that they can follow and then they can do something that they wanted to do with that education 250 people later we thought this is a time that 2016, there's probably a way to scale this that we can turn all of this amazing pedagogically sound content into a digital platform. 
Before we go on to fetch find, there's um, a lot, right? <laughs> You're asking like the whole. Yes, thing. I did. Yeah. Very open ended. I, there's two couple of questions that came up to my mind. One, do you mind elaborating a little bit more on what you found was unique about the clinical behavior that you, what was unique about that that kind of intrigued you? And then also, before I forget the question, can you also speak more on to the people that came to the school and was taking this education? Because it sounds like even from the very beginning of your story, there is something special about that human-animal bond. And I'm glad you started describing the types of people that were interested in this program from lawyers and moms who wanted to have a job. Can you speak more onto what you were witnessing with this very diverse group of individuals, all with a passion for animals and fulfilling that passion? So I have to give so much credit to my mentor who in fact, when we were looking through pictures a few minutes ago, Mary and I was going through them, and I almost stopped and said, look, this is my daughter riding a horse last weekend. My mentor, her name is, again, Dr. Yelsedone, and she, she just bought a horse a few months ago, and so we were out at her, her house in the Chicagoland area and met her horse. And so the fact is that like, this person is so influential in my life and is still such a big part of my life, and she's probably the smartest veterinarian I've ever met in my life. Like, I, she's actually probably the smartest person I've ever met in my life. She's got this keen sense of everything and has such a very deliberate way of condensing information to the point that when you're working with her, with a person and their animal in a clinical environment, the way that she's able to interpret what's happening, I have never yet seen anyone else able to do it in such a significant way. So much of what I'm about to share comes from my experiences with her and how fortunate I was to be able to work under someone with her overall approach. Something she taught me, and this is answering your question about what happens in that clinical setting, is that she taught me about the fragility of the bond between a person and an animal. And I feel like I always, to the point you think about someone with an animal that walks into a veterinary setting, and so clearly that person loves their animal so much, their baby, they love that animal. And someone, and you can identify these people very quickly. Right. They're the ones that are just they're just over the top, but not in an obnoxious way. But you just know that's they're going to have that dog. They're going to keep that dog until it and, and extend its life as far as it can go. Right. That's what's happened. And I've just had that belief and I've always held that belief. And she taught me that's not true, that you never know. You never know. You cannot make a determination based on what someone's presenting in a moment, because at the end of the day, the bond that we have with animals has such a there's a tremendous fragility to it. It's shocking, and I've seen this now, so I know it's true. It's shocking that what that an animal making one bad choice, and I'll just use that as a terminology right now, right? That an animal who makes one bad choice, that bond could be dissolved so quickly in a matter of moments that you think. And I learned that through her, and so it impacted me to such a degree that for the hundreds of thousands of animals that myself and my team would interact with for those 11 years, we, I always taught them never take for granted that this person's going to do, that this person's going to always make the right choice or always be there at that animal side because one thing can happen or there could be something going on in the background. It could be something as, they had a baby and the baby's allergic. It could be anything. But at the end of the day, the fragility between a pet, that, that bond that we think is unbreakable when you witness somebody is not necessarily unbreakable. So my job, I believe, and what we always train people on, the moms or the lawyers, is that your job is to be an advocate for the relationship. 
and to do everything you can to identify any potential breakages. And that's what you focus on because you have training and you are looking at this relationship between a person and their pet with a different lens. And if you see that there is a some integrity issue there, if there's something there that could be challenged later, whether it's in 10 years or in 10 minutes, that's what you work on. And that is, I think, made us a really strong, I think that made me a very strong dog trainer and a very successful behavior consultant. And I think it made our company a really strong company. And I think it's really what I've based my entire career on. And I think about that now in terms of pet professionals. I think that if you can figure out what keep, what made a pet professional interested in our industry, what brought them here? Was it their love of animals? Was it their love of a specific animal? Was it because they want to be an entrepreneur? Is it because they're innovative? What is it that brought someone to our industry? Anyway, are they working at a daycare? Are they working in retail? Do they want to start a company? Are they, who knows, anything. If we can isolate what that is and we can teach to that and we can motivate them around that and we can empower them to believe in themselves around that thing, then we have longevity for that person. That means but that's how our industry really grows and sustains itself. And that's how we build truly the future of the workforce is by thinking about what's the fragility that they have. And it translates perfectly because people come to the industry with this love or this fantasy sometimes of what it means to work with an animal and then they get into it and that's not necessarily what they experience. And I think that it's on, I think it's the responsibility of the business owner or the mentor or whomever to not ever forget what was the thing that brought them to the industry and to really lean into that. And so there's this really interesting parallel between a person and their pet and as a clinical person working with animals making sure and their people and animal that that pairing what you look for and what you focus on and i think it's the same path that you think about with education or career development career training is what the thing that brought that person to the industry how do we maintain that passion that they have for the industry through content or through education or through exposure so that's, that hopefully answers both questions in this unnatural way, but that's, and that's what I saw. So when people would come and say, hey, I want to go back into the workforce. I've been a stay-at-home mom, but I've always loved animals. Or my law practice is, my law job is killing me. I don't want to do this. Or I'm a marine, I have a marine, I'm thinking of so many students. I have a degree in marine biology, but I live in Chicago. And I was going to be living in California, but that's never going to happen. So maybe I can apply my stuff to, to pets. People who, there's, I mean, there's just so many different pe- people come from all walks of life, but the thing that brings them there to the industry that made them students of our in-person school is that they had this thing that bonded them, even if it was something they didn't even understand, or it was something that when I was a kid, my grandma used to have a farm and there were golden retrievers. And I always had this fantasy of running through the poppy fields with golden retrievers career. And we're like, yes, it's a career. Let's figure out how to get that to be a career for you. I think you addressed how we maintain that business between, or the balance between determining business solutions with also having that love of pets because it sounds like they're really not too dissimilar. But with FetchFind, how have you been able to really grow multiple businesses around this like love of pets and still be able to make like smart financial business. So for me as an entrepreneur, how do I not just go down the path of let's just give everyone everything they want for free because we want everyone to love animals and be happy in their career? That 
Trust me, it's still a struggle for me. I was just in a meeting before this where I'm like, don't worry about the money part. Let's just see what we can do to help you. Literally, I said those exact words like an hour ago. I'm not even kidding. And it is a struggle because I'm also a social worker at heart. And like, I also want everyone to be happy and I want everyone to find their passion. And I want everyone to have a fulfilling life. And I, if I jump off my hippie bandwagon for a moment, I'm also extremely ambitious. And so I have this like good balance. I do have a tremendous amount of ambition. I'm a single mom and I am a sole provider for my child. And I, no one ever gave me anything. No one ever paid for my school. No, my parents, they're fine people. It's not like they didn't, but like I really am totally self-made. And so I find a lot of motivation wanting to lean into like true success. So as much as I'm like about it an hour ago, trust me, like I have another meeting in a few minutes where it's going to be like, all right, how big is the check going to be? There's just so that exists. So I don't know if I have a perfect answer because I think it just, it's super situation dependent. I'm always industry first, which means people and animals first, but also it really means industry first. Like I also am very clear that like our industry, we are riding a very powerful wave, but also we can't forget that it's also a wave and a wave is subject to disruption and to changes in climate and to there's a lot of things. So I think that, again, that workforce piece, getting, making sure we have a really stable workforce, really empowered workforce who want to do the next thing. And that takes money to build. Yeah, I don't think that passion is necessarily lacking in the pet industry. I think everyone you talk to definitely has an enormous drive and passion for this. The vast majority of us, super zoos, huge. I don't know how many people are out there. 20,000. 20,000 people, you can walk up to just about any one of them, and I, whether it's reptiles, birds, dogs, cats, they have a passion for something pet-related out there. That's why we're all here. Every single person in that show floor, that you're that's such a great way of putting it, every single person, even if they're just, even if they're like on the, very much on the business side, even if they're just, you know, that there's no, they don't have a background in pet necessarily. What I've heard, and I'm sure you all hear it all the time, once people get into the industry, that's, I think that's the interesting thing. People who have a, take a job working for a pet business, people know don't leave. Like they come to pet and they do not leave because we're awesome. Because we are awesome people. I, this is the best industry. I've had people have been like, do you think maybe you want to try another industry? Why? <laughs> well, you like to challenge yourself. Yeah, I do. That's why I'm in this industry because it's very challenging. She's the most challenging. I think along with this, and it's something I've been very impressed watching you, you're very successful and good at forming relationships with organizations and key people in the pet industry. So why has that been such a big focus for you? And what have these relationships taught you about just the industry in general? Oh my gosh, that is honestly such a hard question. <laughs> it's like at the core of who I am, but I don't even know. I saw that on the notes and I thought, I'm going to not even thinking about that right now, but you're making me now. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I'm the person in my family. It's funny. We just had my dad's 77th birthday and my sister-in-law's 52nd birthday the same day. They have the same birthday. And, uh, and as their birthday was coming, I sent out the group text. What are we doing to celebrate? And Sunday we had this amazing party at my dad's house. And that's just what I'm the person who does that. I'm just, the, I don't know. There's something about, I love just the, I love being, I don't know. I love the togetherness, but not, but I'm also not one of these people who have to always be going out and doing things and what have you. I just like the idea of, and the feeling and the outcome of 
bringing people together. I just love the outcome. Like even at this party, if I had my phone, I would show you like I t- I'm a photographer. I took so many like just handed shots, right? Or I just love seeing people leaning in. And I didn't think about this until now. I'm like, I did that. Like my aunt and my brother are sitting at my dad's counter having a moment. The picture I took is because I sent that text. So I think, I don't know, I don't think about it very much because I don't know how else to be. And I'm sure for some people it's super annoying. I just had a meeting this morning with a potential partner for Fetch Find and she was like, you're relentless. She said to me, you're relentless. This is year two and you're still here asking me how we're going to do this. And we reached such a great place. But she was like, what's your angle? She said that to me. What's your angle? I'm like, there is the angle is that we rising tide ships and bigger pies, smaller peas. I can give you all your little cliches. I don't have it. My angle is that I think that we can all just be better together. And I think I like to watch that. Like I'm definitely more people think I'm a super extrovert, but I'm actually like a pretty significant introvert in many ways. I know it's like shocking to say that, but it's true. I like to watch. I like to witness, I think. I like to witness the people that I put in the same room have great outcomes. And I think the pet industry is a great place for that, too, because at the end of the day, like it's a massive industry. There's tons of opportunities and everyone can find their own little like niche within this big playing field. But it's also very small and close knit. And you see a lot of the same faces at these conferences that you go to. And do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I worked with them a while back. And so relationships are really at the core of the pet industry. And so the ability to build strong ones is vital for success here. I think that the longer that you're in an industry, like myself, you also have lots of hiccups along the way and lots of repairing to do as well, right? Because especially because our industry is so young, Right. So if you think of 10 or 15 years ago as folks like myself who are trying to innovate and be like think outside the box or try to bring like pieces that don't necessarily go together. A lot of people get feathers in a or their whiskers in a or their fur in a whatever. Pick your animal. And so there's also a lot of smoothing that goes on the longer you're in the world. That's life in general. Right. There's there's always in every relationship, business, personal, even just walking by someone on the street, fragmentation happens. I'm sorry, fracturing, not fragmentation. Fragmentation is our industry. Fracturing, so relationship fractures happen all day long, every day, right? Like even me walking in two minutes late, right? There's always like people fracture all the time. And there's sometimes they're significant, sometimes they're like little teeny things. And the only way to repair a fracture is to show up and to take ownership and to be accountable. And spend like how long do we spend? Half an hour, 45 minutes comparing pictures and bonding over shared pets. And like you, you build all of that. When a fracture does happen, yeah, it's not a big deal. You have like collateral, right? You mm-hmm. have, you have, you build up stuff. And so I think that one of the things that I, I always am aware of is like where I fracture stuff and like what I need to do to fix fracture because I'm so imperfect. I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing. And, I'm, and it's not because I'm not thoughtful or because I don't care. It's just because I'm so like three steps ahead of myself all the time. And so I'm always very aware of where my accountability needs to be. And so I think that's where my, some of my success comes from because I do show up and hopefully hold myself accountable and not just lip service accountability, like taking a step back, learn, are my values aligned with my actions? No, they're not. So I fractured. Now I have to realize that I've got to be accountable for the fact that my values were not aligned with my actions. Or my actions were not aligned with my values. And so it's just, it comes down to that. And I think that is hard work and not something that's a lot of 
therapy and a lot of self-help books and a lot of weekend seminars and like a lot of stuff that I just, I don't know, I just really tried my best to have the highest degree of self-awareness and ownership and accountability I can. I think, you know, that honesty and being genuine is helpful as well when it comes to relationships because we're all human. You started going down some of the challenges already that we may have in this industry. And I would love <laughs> to hear more on what you have experienced. We love this industry, but they're like everything. There are unique challenges in the pet industry. So what are some of the most significant challenges you have seen? I think, so yes, everything you said, yes, and then yes, and more yeses. I think that it's human nature stuff. I think because our industry is young and there are, it's opportunity rich that creates a lot of lack thinking and fear-based thinking. I think fear-based thinking is really, that's where all the challenges come from. That's literally all the challenges. Like I can look at every situation and that's my fear-based. That's not, I'm not, that's me as well. I'm less so, of course, now, but over the years, I think for every fracture situation or every challenging relationship, I think it's always been that the other party or this side of the table myself is because it feels like it's a FOMO, I mean, fear of missing out. I think it honestly, I thought about this like this, but I think that the sizable opportunity that we have in this industry creates a lot of anxiety for businesses and organizations because they want to get there and they want to basically get their first potentially or get their best. And I think that creates a lot of isolated behavior and a lot of isolated thinking and a lot of selfish thinking. I think it's just, I think it's human nature stuff. I don't think it's, I think this industry is ripe with it. Also, I think our industry, if I, one more thing here on that is that like we're the only industry that we're dealing with so many different species. And I don't mean like small, I think that like when you're, like you're always having to consider so many different audiences when you're thinking about a solution for something very complex. Honestly, being in digital learning and being in technology. So I think having, I think the intersection of learning and education, technology, pet industry, I think the biggest challenges have been to prove out. Also, I think imposter syndrome around that too, which is another thing that we especially deal with. But I think the biggest challenge is showcasing that the intersection of technology, education, and pet industry actually has a space and that there's something that we can actually we can actually create. I've had to sell that story to everybody. So my biggest challenge is I just signed that WPA contract five years from the first conversation. Five years. I met thank you. But five years. And that's and by the way, once Vic got on board, Vic Mason, the current president. He's amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> We expedited. But I'll tell you what, I was introduced to the WPA five and a half years. It was global 2018. I met someone on the board. And that person on the board said, I'm on the board of the WPA. I'm like, yeah, I'm on the board. And we're looking at maybe some education. And they brought me in. And they had me do a whole presentation. And we just signed our agreement, right? And so to do what I had proposed, literally, like the agreement we signed is what I proposed five years ago. So the challenges are more like these, like, heavy lift, right? It's the heavy lift to say, I've got this vision and I want to do it with you. I know we can do, we can be better together going back to the earlier part of our conversation. 
And it's that, what's in it for you? And how much is this going to cost? And I, it's all of these. It's the long game. It's the long game. And I don't have a long game mentality. I have a, like, let's do this today mentality. And so I'm constantly at my own at battle. I'm struggling with my own, like, I want to get things and I want to get them. I'm a, let's do this now person. And I'm playing these long games with everybody, right? The entire industry I play a long game with. It's such like a contradiction of you have the fear of missing out mentality. When this is like a quick moving industry, like trends come and they go and like the tides. But with that in mind, what would the ideal pet industry look like for you? I think it's what we're building. The ideal pet industry is that there's a decrease in fragmentation. I think there needs to be some fragmentation because that's why that's how this industry is so cottagey and fun, unique, and you can go build a pet care business in your own vision, in your own. But I think there needs to be some, I won't use the word regulation because I think that's a really heavy word that gets misinterpreted, so I won't use that. But I think there needs to be some consistent information delivery through a, I don't know, a centralized Digital education hub, perhaps. Just an idea. Just this off idea. the top of the dome here. I have it off the top. I think that is what that it really is. That I think what the industry needs is a place that people can go and get good information that's not coming from one source. That is dangerous. A one source delivery, one source for education or information is really a danger. We we're talking about before, right? Like well-rounded information from thought leaders. So you mentioned that it's, there's a danger in information coming from one place. I completely agree. So how can Fetch Find, being a company, bring that diversity but uniformity of this education and this ideal world that you're talking about, the intersection of technology, education, this industry, how collaboration? How can we do that? I know we can't have a visual, but it's, I would bring up that piece of paper I showed you a few minutes ago. It's by having the best of the best in class thinkers, best in class organizations, representatives from all verticals come together and provide the content. So when you bring together, in this case with Fetch Fine, we have our partners at WPA, our partners at the IBPSA, the International Boarding and Pet Services, our partners at National Association of Professional Pet Stores, our, part, our, our partners at Fear Free our partners at Kong, when you start thinking about like the diversity of partnerships, our partnership with BSM, right? Like how we think about who are best in class and how do we, and what's their audience and what are they trying to accomplish? How do we pull all of that together and build a a marketplace of information that people can come to, business owners or independent folks can come to, and it's many voices, but there's a unified delivery. The difference is that it's not, it's the same look and feel. You're, it's, the, it's really the, it's the UI UX component that is missing from this industry. It's that unified user experience and user interface, right? It's that whole like idea of I can get good information from all of these organizations. That's different logins. That's a different, whether it's micro learning, mobile first. It is a, you end up getting a binder of logins and then you never do it. So Fest Finds whole approach is we want everyone to win. We want to, but let's have a place that like that person who I used to be as a business owner who had two, then 10, then 40 employees to train. Can you just give me something easy? Please don't make me follow a trail of breadcrumbs just to teach my person how to put a leash on a dog. And then another place I've got to go to learn about whether corn is a good ingredient in dog food. And then another place to understand about litter box safety. 
and another place to learn about bird care. And this is literally what's that's what's going on. That mm-hmm. is the deal. And so what you end up having is you have employees then who are like, you know what, well, I'm not doing any of it. And then business owners who give up on it. And then no one knows anything. So really the fetch find deal is that it, it solves the problem of having a one-stop shop. Log in. Go get your BSM stuff. Go get your IPSA stuff. Go get your NAP stuff. And by the way, go out to the NAPs. Go out to these other platforms and go out and do that, but at least have one place that if you don't want to go anywhere else, you can get their stuff here, but it's going to be delivered consistently. It's going to have consistent look and feel. You're going to get your badging, your points, your, your, your earn your stars. It's all gamified. So that is the, but that is what we're building. And that's really what WPA is our partner signed on for, to be a part, to own that with us. You talked about employee training and a lot around the industry. How will the pet parent benefit from this unified educational system? There's two answers to that. One is they'll benefit indirectly because they're providers, whether they're veterinary staff, their daycare and boarding provider, the retailer, whoever. They're getting quality information and passing on quality information. That's just that's the most scaled, immediate that they're getting consistent quality information. And they can have that same conversation with their groomer, their dog walker, and their vet, and everyone has said a similar thing about how to put a gentle leader. If everyone understands what a gentle leader is, right, or understands that the differences between a raw and kibble diet, there's just some basic, consistent understanding so the pet parent feels as though they're being supported by an industry because there isn't that right now. They go to different places to get different information, including the internet. And so if our industry, if the people who are in the industry getting paid to take care of people's pets have some consistent language, then people get more pets, by the way. That's how our industry grows, by the way. They get more pets because they feel like they're being supported. Remember during COVID when people couldn't get in for grooming? Still today, by the way. I have had more than one person say to me, I would get another you know what? It's so hard to get a veterinary. It's so hard to get a grooming appointment. Forget about the expenses. Like it's not even that. And it's changing now. But like a year ago, people, I mean, for us to, we want people to have more pets. That's what our industry needs people to do. Get more pets that are appropriate for your life in your home. And, and people feel real e- easy to do that when people feel supported and that they're all of the professionals in their world have alignment. Or even keep their pet. Something you said earlier, I loved so much about training back with your training business that I saw this bigger mission of it's really about maintaining that human-animal bond. And so if you have an industry that's working together to support that human-animal bond in the end, sorry, full circle, right? I think that's really where everybody truly wins. Mic drop. Just kidding. No, literally, I just, I think that's what it comes. Oh my gosh, you just did that. You just did that. That's your full circle. Yeah. You just brought that. Yeah. You brought the thunder. It happens every once in a while. <laughs> it's rare, moment. but. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's it. And we have the opportunity as an industry to really embrace that and get aligned to it. Last few questions. You know, before we started the call, you and Mary were nerding out over your dogs, but I think we should share with everyone how much you love your, your pets. Who are your pets? And you mentioned bird. I do love a bird. I'll start with the bird, who's not <laughs> my favorite pet in the house, but I still love the bird because she lives with us. And my daughter, my, my daughter's my daughter's pet. She lives in my daughter's room. I'm actually pretty proud of my daughter, Sadie. She's going to be 12 for a couple months, and she loves her bird. It's a cockatiel mm-hmm. named Sweetie. 
who's about two years old, and it's a lovely animal. The birds are loud and demanding and they're need messy. a lot of social, they're messy and they're very social animals. And so there's a lot of, we're home and the bird's got to be with us, which I don't always want a bird with. And I'll be honest, I do love a bird. So our bird, Sweetie, who's about two years old, our cockatiel, if they say he's cockatiel. And then we have our seven and a half, oh my gosh, she'll be eight next month. That's crazy. Our eight-year-old, I did DNA tester, Chihuahua, Schnauzer, Rat Terrier mix. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow, that's right. You all are thinking, wow, because it is a wow. Wow. Anyway, so she's amazing. Her name is Sassy. She's a hurricane survivor. What? Named. She came with that. (laughs) So she was, when Hurricane Harvey hit, whatever that was, six years ago, they shipped a bunch of animals to Chicago, and I was on the intake side of the shelter helping to do behavior evaluations. She was the last dog off the bus. They're like, oh, my God, this one doesn't have a foster home. What happened to her paperwork? I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. I will foster her. She's seven pounds. I have my first dog I ever purchased from a breeder. I, in all of my years, I never purchased a dog. I always picked them up off the street, always, or the shelter I worked at or volunteered at or what have you. But I had two rescue collies over the last 10 years, and I fell in love with the breed. And I got on a wait list for a breeder and was able to get my very first puppy. I always got these rescues who were already like past that. So I had my first, my puppy, my collie puppy. Her name is Willow. We call her Pillow. We really call her Pia Pia. And she's awesome. And she's two and a half. And I love Collies very much. She's smart, kind. She's just, she's effusive enough. She's connected enough. She's independent enough. She's smart as a whip. She's great. That breed. Don't get them. Don't get, no one get Collies. It's our secret. Collie people. And for our listeners who don't know, I also have a Collie. And so Jamie and I spent a fair bit of time prior to this geeking out over our shared love of the breed. Because so there's not, a, there's not, there's many not a lot of, of collie people out there. And we're special and so are they. Yes. <laughs> who is your role model? It's for sure Dr. Sedan, who I refer yeah. to, who's a veterinarian. So my role models are everybody who I respect and work with. And I take different pieces. Like, frankly, your BSM leadership. And I, it's an early relationship, so it feels a little bit awkward saying this and a little bit odd. But I do find that the way that Nate and Seth operate is really unique. And I'm like intrigued by their leadership style and their business acumen. So I have like folks that I might like, I have like business role models and then I have a personal role model. And so if I see someone with integrity and accountability in a leadership role, but for role modeling, I think it's, I think it's people who, again, have that level of accountability and a set of values that whether I agree with them or not, that they're living by. Is, Is there, there anything else? we did miss, though, that you want to... No, are awesome. no this was great. I can't I feel so honored that you are here doing this. Like, I feel very seen and I feel very... I feel honored. Really, this is a true honor. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Industry Podcast, a BSM Partners production with editing by Cliff Duvenois. Thank you to the podcast team, Dr. Megan Sprinkle, Dr. Mary Cope, Whitney Russell, Dr. Stephanie Clark, and Michael Johnson. If you want to learn more about our family here at BSM Partners, please visit our website at bsmpartners.net. And please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, tell a friend, and find us here next time.